I want to invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We have come to the section in our study of the book of Proverbs to chapter 1, verses 8 to 19. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19. I have entitled this series of messages, for it will be more than just a part one, in order to encapsulate all of the material under this theme. I've entitled this series of messages, Bad Company Corrupts Good Morals, or if you like, Stop Hanging with the Wrong Crowd. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19, we have a tremendous portion of the Word of God relative to the matter of who your friends are. You follow along as I read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit." We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. The two most important concepts in the ancient wisdom literature of the Hebrews are these listening to and obeying the words of God. Listening to and obeying the words of God. As I said, those are two, if not the two most crucial aspects or concepts of all of the ancient wisdom literature, especially as we find it in the Word of God. If you were to reduce the life of the godly down to an irreducible minimum, it would be this twofold dictum. If you are not listening to God, you will then not obey Him. And if you are not obeying Him, it is because you are not listening to Him. It's axiomatic. To listen to God is to obey God. And to obey God means that you are listening to Him. You cannot live properly to the glory of God without a desire to obey. And you will not properly obey God if you are not listening to the Word of God. Now, in the Bible Church of Little Rock, we are so very familiar with these concepts. And yet... Having not studied the Proverbs before, verse by verse, it comes to us in a fresh way that God says to the Hebrew people, and therefore by way of application to us, you must listen to me if you're going to obey me. And if you're going to obey me, you must listen to my voice. You must do what I say because you've heard my word. And if you've heard my word you will obey my voice. 
This is a very, very important concept of the Christian life. And this particular concept of listening and obeying the words of God came fresh to me in a recent study that I had with some of the other elders and deacons here at the Bible Church early on Friday mornings at 5.30 a.m., where we studied a particular book called War of Words by Paul David Tripp. It's one of the best books I have ever read. I believe it to be very, very profitable spiritually for any Christian to read. I would encourage every Christian to read this recently released book by Presbyterian and Reformed Publishing Company, War of Words, by Paul David Tripp. It's so very vital. The thesis of this entire book is what I have just described, and that is listening to the words of God and obeying the words of God and then allowing His words to influence our words as we speak words to others. That's the thesis of the book. And of course, negatively speaking, because we're sinful human beings, we don't speak the kinds of words to others and even sometimes to God that we should, and therefore we have a war of words. Listen to what he says, these all-important words about the true nature of our hearts which reveal our words. He rightly says this, No matter where you live, no matter what you do every day, there is one thing you do all day long. You talk. From the first, is it time to get up already, to the final good night, i got to get some sleep, you talk. Talk seems so normal, so ordinary, so unimportant, so harmless. Yet there are few things we do that are more important. And underneath the normality of it all is a great struggle, a war of words that we fight every day. Who among us has not been hurt by the words of another? Who hasn't regretted something we ourselves have said? Who hasn't had, a referee, hasn't had to referee an argument? Who hasn't wanted to talk seriously with a loved one, yet there seems to be no time? With a loved one, yet there seems to be no time. It is always appropriate to the situation, and there are always kindly spoken words, or are there? Words are powerful, important, significant. It was meant to be that way. When we speak, it must be with the realization that God has given our words significance. He has ordained for them to be important. Words were significant at creation and at the fall. They are significant to redemption. God has given words value. You do not really understand the significance of words until you realize that the first words that human ears ever heard were not the words of another human being, but the words of God. The value of every piece of human communication is rooted in the fact that God speaks. God reveals Himself, His plan, and His purpose in words. The infinite and almighty one makes himself knowable and understandable through human language. Before he works, God reveals what he is about to do. As he is working, he talks of what he is doing. And when he is finished, he interprets what he has done. He is a God who can be known because he is a God who speaks. Scripture presents him as the great standard for all communication. And then he ends by saying, there is nothing we depend on more than our ability to give and receive communication. Now, have you ever thought of that in that way? That virtually everything we do is bound up in speaking, in the use of our words, in communication, in how we teach, in how we conduct ourselves. Paul David Tripp is correct when he says that there is nothing we depend on more than our ability to give and receive communication. And that is why, beloved, the book of Proverbs is so powerful for us. Why? Because God is communicating His wisdom to us for practical 
Christian living. God wants us to know in a very practical way what it means to know His will. God wants to speak to us His Word so that we might know how to live to the glory of God. God gives us His words, His speech, His communication, His truth, so that we might avoid the wrong path and tread the right path. And it is our responsibility when we hear these words from God to transfer those words through us to others, especially our children, especially those who are in our sphere of influence, those that we're discipling, those that we're teaching, those for whom we come in contact. We need to know how to speak the right words. And the only way to know how to speak those right words are to speak the very words of God to ourselves and to other people. There's no more vital subject. I wish it were that my words always and forever were words of wisdom. I wish every conversation that I had with my own family, with my wife or my children or my extended family or my church family or those who I'm evangelizing, I wish all of my words were the words and the wisdom of God Himself. That's why we have a war of words, because our words aren't like that. Sometimes our words aren't often like that. And we need continual reminders about the use of our words, about how we speak, and most importantly, how we obey based upon what we hear. And regarding this crucial aspect of listening to and obeying the voice of God, there is in our text of Proverbs chapter 1 three direct, emphatic commands that are right here ready for us to listen to and to obey. And it actually provides the outline for the entire series of messages that we're going to give from this text and other selected Proverbs as we find them, especially in chapters 10 through 31. Those three direct, simple commands are these. Number one, number one, from verses 8 and 9, which we'll cover this morning, we will see that we are to wear your parents' godly counsel continually. Wear, as in W-E-A-R, we are to wear, that is like clothing, wear our parents' godly counsel continually. That's verses 8 and 9. Now, of course, it is true that some of us have had parents who have died. Maybe we didn't grow up with our parents Uh, Maybe there might be some situation in which someone could immediately say, well, that doesn't apply to me, and so I'm going to tune out until points number two and three. No, you have every opportunity, if you have not had your parents' godly counsel, for you to turn around and be a godly counselor, whether it's to your own children or your grandchildren or people around you. And if you haven't learned from someone else up to this point, learn now so that you can reproduce that in others. Point number one is to wear your parents' godly counsel continually. Secondly, verses 10 to 14 and other selected Proverbs as we come to them will show us this, this command. Withstand the enticement of sinners' words. Withstand the enticement of sinners' words. We're going to discuss that. We're going to talk about that in verses 10 to 14. And then finally, the third direct command we see here in this text is walk away from the allurement of the sinner's world. Walk away from the allurement of the sinner's world. That's contained for us in verses 15 to 19. And so we have three very clear and direct commands. We're to wear something, we're to withstand something, and we are to what? What was the third W? What was it? Walk. Walk away. And those are very clear principles coming out of this text. If you see in verses 8 and 9, you can see that it's talking about the analogy or the metaphor of wearing something. Something that would be a graceful wreath to your head and something that would be ornaments about your neck. And then if you see in verse 10, 
You see, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. That's talking about withstanding the words of someone else. You're saying no when you are confronted with someone's words. Someone who tries to entice you by their speech. And then finally in verse 15 it says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your path, your feet from their path. And that's a walking command. So the first is a wearing command. The second is a withstanding command. And the third is a walking away from command. Very simple, very direct, and that's what the Proverbs are. They're pithy statements that give us, in very simple terms, what we are to do. And we're going to talk this morning exclusively about number one. Wear your parents' godly counsel continually. You'll see in verses 8 and 9 that there are two very clear individuals involved in the counseling process. And we need to see who they are and what they represent. If we looked at the second two commands that I gave you this morning that we'll talk about next time, those are negative commands, aren't they? Withstand the enticement of someone and walk away from the allurement of someone. Those are negative commands. Those are telling us to do something to avoid the negative implications of evil and its consequences. Here, with principle number one, it's positive. It's positive. It is obeying or wearing your parents' godly counsel. If, in fact, the negative commands are telling us to withstand the enticement of sinners' words because of what we are hearing then this is the positive counterpart. We're to positively listen to the words of our Father. Now, of course, I could break this down to apply it to all of us, either talking about someone who is your earthly father, someone who might be your earthly grandfather or a godly uncle or a brother or someone like that, or maybe even spiritually speaking, someone who is your brother in Christ. And you are to learn... You're to learn proactively, positively from them, and you're to learn about hearing. Hearing. He says, hear my son, your father's instruction. Listening to the Word of God is all that this is about in this text. Hearing the Word. That's the first word listed there. Hear the instruction of our Father. If you're to do anything in this world, it's to listen. That's why James 1, again with a very pithy way of putting it, says, Be slow to what? Speak. Be quick to hear and be slow to anger. You've often heard people talking about the fact that that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? It's the opportunity for us to listen to God. And here's a great opportunity to listen to God because it's listening to God through the godly counsel of one who has been there and done that. I know that for some of us, especially some of us who are younger, maybe even some of you who are in your teen years, to be bored with such a commentary, you might say to yourself, I have heard this all my life. I've heard my parents say I had to walk five miles in the snow to go to school with no shoes on. I had to do all of these things, and I'm telling you, I've been there and I've done that, and you shouldn't do these things because they will wreck your life. And at that point, so many young people tune out. But I hope by way of taped message to Ukraine and to New Mexico, we can find some young people who will say to themselves, I need to listen to this. Because that's step number one, isn't it? I need to listen to this. Whatever I'm being told, God is speaking through my parents to me. Or God is speaking through that godly counselor to me. The first is to hear. One, we're hearing, which allows us to tune out the words of the world. We're listening to God through His instrument, and that is our Father's instruction. And I love this idea of instruction. It's the word discipline. I mentioned it to you before. 
It's the idea of mutsar. It's, it's giving us discipline. It's not just proactive, positive instruction, but it's also showing me how to go back on the right path when I veered off from it. It's hearing not only positive, proactive teaching from my father, but also listening to my father when I went my own way, and now he's telling me how to go back on the right path. Isn't that exactly what Ephesians 6, 1-4 talks about in the New Covenant? It's talking about instruction, discipline, admonishment. And it's saying that I can proactively teach, yes, but maybe some of the better lessons ever learned are those lessons when I've fallen off the path and now I'm reaching for a hand to allow me to come back on the path. And my father is there to help me. My friend is there to help me. My godly counselor is there for me. And what I'm to do is to wear this godly counsel. How am I to wear it? Verse 9, Indeed, they, that instruction, is a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. The reward for this is what I might call beauty and grace. Beauty and grace. The grace is the graceful wreath to your head, and the beauty are the ornaments about your neck. You see how the proverbial statements come to life now with this imagery? Everyone likes to see someone who has a nice hairdo someone who has a nice hat, someone who has something lovely that adorns the top of their head, especially those who might not have as much hair as they once had. No, no comment, Kenny. And when we have the opportunity to have something that looks lovely, something that looks grand, something that looks beautiful, it is a plus, it's a positive. And also there are ornaments to be given around the neck of a person. And what a lovely thing it is to find someone who has a beautiful necklace. It becomes a conversation piece. Oh, I like that. That's really beautiful. Where did you receive that? Where did you buy that? How many stones are there? That's lovely. I really, really like that. It's beautiful. And we respond to that and we say, that is wonderful. I like the fact that someone appreciates what I'm wearing. And that is exactly the imagery that is being used here. If you would hear, hear, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, you are going to have a graceful wreath to your head. You're going to have something lovely that someone appreciates and marvels after. It's going to be something that someone sees and they say, I like that. That's good. That's beautiful. Or someone who has an ornament about their neck. Someone who has a lovely necklace. Someone who has something very, very beautiful around themselves. And you're going to say spiritually about them, Oh, I like that virtue. Oh, I like that Christian virtue of that person. Why? On what basis? Because they're listening. They're listening to their father's instruction. They're doing what their father says. They're arming themselves with the right kind of data spiritually, the right kind of language biblically, and they're taking it to heart. And what it looks like on the inside is what it might look like on the outside with a beautiful covering over your head or beautiful ornaments about your neck. That's the point. The reward for such listening is grace and beauty. Your head will be adorned with grace, a graceful wreath, a blessing. That's really what it is. That word grace is the word for blessing. If you want people to look at you and say, that person is a blessing to me. I love being around that person. It will only come as a result of your listening to the Word of God. It'll come as a result of you saying, I want to be an obedient son. It may not be my physical father, and it may not be someone that I'm terribly close to. It may even be a preacher. It may even be a Bible study leader. It may even be someone that I've admired from afar. But ultimately, it's someone who has allowed me the privilege of listening to the Word of God, hearing it spoken, seeing God's words come to life in and through my life. That's a beautiful thing. That's a, that's a blessing kind of life. That's a graceful thing. And notice what it says, secondly, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. What does forsake mean? Forsake means to abandon. To abandon. 
to run away from, to put distance between you and that. It's talking about running away. It's talking about fleeing, abandoning whatever you're to abandon. And here it says, do not abandon, do not run away from, do not flee your mother's teaching. This really forms a beautiful couplet for us, listening and not abandoning. Listening and not abandoning. The word here, by the way, in verse 8 is extremely important. It's the word Shema. And you've heard, as well as I have, the great Shema of Deuteronomy 6. In fact, I want you to turn there in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to show you how these two crucial words, hearing and not forsaking, are absolutely vital if you're going to have the blessing of this beautiful spiritual wreath on your head and these gorgeous ornaments, these Christian virtues around your neck. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us about this concept of hear and also about the concept of doing and not forsaking. Remember I said to you, listening to and obeying the voice of God. It's here. Listening to and obeying. Listening and not forsaking. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what it says. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, God speaking through Moses, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. Now, you see already the idea of obedience, that you might do them. Verse 2, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. And then notice verse 3, O Israel, you should listen. Listen. Guess what? In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8, when it says, hear my son, it's the same word here. Listen. Hearing, listening. It's the same thing. It's the Shema. That's how we come up with that word Shema. It means, listen, O Israel. Listen to the Lord your God. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. There it is. Listening and obeying. Listening and obeying. That it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's this Statement that all Jews who are raised as Jews memorize. Here's what they hear, and here's what they're supposed to obey. Verse 4, hear, O Israel. There it is. Listen up. We might say that in our vernacular. Listen up. Receive the point. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. In other words, you must have a right theology about God. The Lord is one. There's only one God in the universe, and it's the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And then how should you respond to this theology? With a doxology. How should you do that? Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them. Do you see that? That's words. That's the use of words. Listen, beloved, if you're not teaching your sons and your daughters through your words, you're prostituting the very message of the words of God. You have to speak words to them. It's not just the conduct of your life, as important as that is. But remember, in the Hebrew mindset, there is no doing, there is no conduct without the listening and then without the speaking of your own words, the words of God. That's what Moses is trying to drill into their minds. He's saying, you need to listen, and when you listen properly, you'll obey, and when your children speak to you, you'll speak back to them the words of God. That's why he keeps telling them, don't forget the commandments, don't forget the statutes. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build 
and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You should keep diligently the commands of the Lord your God. You should listen. That's why, whether it's a tape in your car, whether it's the Bible in front of your eyes, whether it's a conversation on your lips, whatever it may be, and in whatever technological venue we might have today, as God has blessed us, listen, 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 listen to the Word of the living God. And then obey what you hear. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. You know, this is not just, by the way, as a responsibility of fathers to their own sons. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. And you're going to be seeing this theme over and over and over again, especially as Moses reiterates the Decalogue, the law of God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen. Listen to the statutes and the judgments. You know what that tells me, by the way? That tells me that they were regularly under the teaching of the Word. They were listening. That was also because they might not have a Bible. They may not have an an Old Testament at their very fingertips like we do. So what did they have to do? They had to go to the house of the Lord. They had to go to the gathering of the people. And they had to sit and listen to God speak words, even those words that were not readily available to them on the page. Now, we might be subtly overcome by such a thing. We might be saying to ourselves, Well, I'm not sure I want to worship the Lord this Sunday. I'm awfully tired. I've worked really hard this week. And by the way, I have my own Bible. I can worship my God in my way, and I'll even read the Word of God. This was an opportunity for them not just to read the Word of God themselves, but to listen to the Word of God, and to listen to the Word of God preached, and for Moses to re-articulate the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform. You see that? Moses was a teacher of the Word. Therefore, we need to listen to the teaching of the Word so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land. You see, listening and obeying, listening and doing. If you read the Proverbs, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, you look at the wisdom literature of the Old Testament and you're going to find this. There was no concept of someone who listened but did not obey. And there was no concept of someone who was saying, I'm obedient without listening. Those were two sides of the same coin. If you listened, it was for the purpose of obedience. And if you obeyed, it was because you obeyed the voice of God, not your own voice. That's Deuteronomy 4. And notice verse 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Don't think that your time is ended if you have taught your sons. Hear, my son, the instruction of your father, and as a grandfather, you must also have the responsibility to teach your grandsons. Yes, in any way you can, in whatever whatever venue God gives you, in whatever way, it could be cards, letters, emails, faxes, phone calls, visits, whatever it may be, if they're not with you in your own community, there's every opportunity for you to tell of your sons that God God is faithful and that God has His best interests at heart if He would but listen and obey. You see, there's a whole lot more here in Proverbs 1.8 than we might see at first glance. Hear, listen. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Then Moses, verse 1, summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing. You see that? You might say to yourself, if you are reading a novel or you're reading a story and someone says in chapter 4, Listen, 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 listen. 
Chapter 5, listen, 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 listen. Chapter 6, listen, listen, listen. And you'd say, this guy's not a good writer. That's the point. The point for the Word of God is repetition, repetition, repetition. Why? Because we're so forgetful, forgetful, forgetful. He says in verse 5, uh, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinance which I am speaking to you today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. You see, there's a pattern, listening and obedience. If you just say, well, I hear the Word of God, but I don't obey, then you're not hearing the Word of God. And if you say, I obey, but I don't always allow it to come from the Word of God, that's not real obedience. The only true obedience that comes is hearing for the sake of obeying and hearing the voice of God Himself. This is the great Shema. That's that word. That's that's the word listen. The great Shema is listen and obey. And it's not just my way. It's God's judgments, His statutes, His commandments, His very words. These are foundational passages, beloved, for any Old Testament saint and any New Testament saint as well. And notice, it's the formula of Proverbs 1, 8-9. Listen and do not forsake, which means walk or obey the Lord. But what is it that we're to listen to? Father's instruction. God's Word through the Father. This is a ringing theme in Proverbs. Have you noticed? Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1-2. to two. My son... My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. My son, listen. Listen to my words. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. It's so easy to forget, my son, and I'm telling you, don't forget my instruction. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Does that sound a lot like Proverbs 1, 8 to 9? Right around your neck. Right around your head. Don't let it leave you. Write it right on your heart. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching, healthy teaching, good teaching. Do not, uh uh-oh, there's a word, abandon. Do not abandon my instruction. Don't forsake it. See how the Bible is so clear and so precise? Listening, obey, listen, obey. Listen to my instruction, my son, don't forsake. If you've heard something from me, your father, bank on it. Because if I'm teaching you the very words of God, you can commit your life to it. And if you're hearing some teaching from your mother, you can bank on it. You can know that when she teaches you the word of God, you don't abandon that, you don't forsake that, you cling to it as though you're holding on to the truth life raft. That's it. Proverbs chapter 5, and we're not even looking at all of them, But just these representative statements. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Could it be that Solomon might be saying to a few of his sons, I've been there. I've done that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't do what I did. Don't be what I've been. I'm I'm telling you a new thing. Chapter 6, My son, if you have become, verse 1, surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you've been snared with the words of your mouth. You see, it's not God's words, it's your words. Like I said, like Paul Tripp said, we all use words that we shouldn't use. We all say things we shouldn't say. And sometimes we become ensnared with the very words of our mouth, not the words of God, not the words out of God's own mouth. And sometimes when that comes, disaster strikes, and now I'm ensnared. And he says, if you've been snared with the words of your mouth, if you've been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself since you've come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, humble yourself, and importune your neighbor. That means bang on the door until he comes. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand. How fast does a deer, how fast does a gazelle try to move away from a hunter? 
That's how fast you ought to be going back to the one that you've offended and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Man, run to that person. Go back to them as quickly as you can. It was amazing. On Friday morning, a pastor from Florida gave me a call and he asked me a series of counseling questions about a very difficult situation in his church and I gave him the best answers I could and I talked with his wife who is good friends with our family and I spoke with her before the conversation turned to him and his questions and she said something in that conversation that I thought of but I didn't think about in its depth and then I answered his questions and I hung up the phone and five minutes after I hung up the phone there was a call back from her and she said I said something inappropriate about my husband will you please forgive me and she had said something about her husband that was a joke but it was obviously not something that she needed to say and I thought of this, and I thought of the idea that she was like the gazelle. She was like the, the bird from the hand of the fowler. And as soon as she could, the opportunity was, call right back, seek forgiveness of that. That wasn't right. That's what you do if you're ensnared with the words of your mouth. If you've been caught with them, deliver yourself. You see, this is, this is the matter of seeing your words as important. And it's a matter of seeing God's words as the most important important. And not forsaking your mother's teaching. Not abandoning what she tells you. And by the way, in all of the ancient wisdom literature outside the Bible, Egyptian wisdom literature and others, there's a scant or maybe no reference to the teaching ministry of a mother to her children. Hardly anything, maybe nothing. And all of the stuff that we can find, all of the extant literature, there is no ministry, there is no wisdom that a mother has for the teaching of her children in extra-biblical sources. But do you notice right in chapter 1 of Proverbs, right when we get down to the nitty-gritty of teaching, it says, do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Don't forsake it. And by the way, that word for teaching there, that word is law, Torah. She's, she's teaching her children the Torah. She's teaching them the law. This is a law teacher here. This is a woman who's doing it. This is a woman who's involved. And I thank God for the great ministry of a godly mother teaching her children the truth, not abandoning that truth, clinging to the truth. I love Proverbs 17, 14. Write it down. Look at it later. Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon, same word, the quarrel before it breaks out. In other words, run from strife as much as you can because it's like taking your finger out of the dike and then the thing just floods. So abandon the quarrel before it ever breaks out. Forsake it. You have a great opportunity to listen to your mother. Listen to your mother. I've heard that a few times from my mother. Listen to your mother. Usually it's about my health. Usually it's about pushing myself. Usually it's about working hard for the sake of the kingdom. And she will often come, as mothers do, and say, Are you eating right? Are you doing the right things? And I say, Of course, no, no. And she says, Listen to your mother. And I need to listen. I need to listen to that. I need to respond to that. And in the end, if you do that, it's like you're wearing a graceful wreath on your head. It's like you are having beautiful ornaments about your neck. You are a person who is able to dispense grace, blessing to other people because you're wearing it around your head. You're wearing it on top of your head. You're, you're having beautiful ornaments, godly virtues, wise sayings, proverbs that come out of your mouth and it's like a beautiful diamond on your neck. Don't abandon it. Don't forsake it. Listen. Hear the Word of God. Oh, I wish we had time, and we will in later sessions, be able to talk about the teaching ministry of a mother. But did you know that in Proverbs 10.1, Proverbs 15.20, Proverbs 19, 23.22-25, 28.24, 29.15, 30.11, and 30.17, all talk about the teaching ministry of a mother? Proverbs has a lot to say about a mother and her responsibility to teach. Some of it is positive. Listen to the teaching of your mother. Some of it is negative. A fool brings shame to his mother. Why? Because that fool hasn't listened 
to his mother's instruction. If you abandon it, if you forsake it, if you say no to it, if you reject it, the Bible calls you a fool, calls you a, a stupid person, a person who doesn't lack the intelligence quotient, but a person who's acting foolishly because you have the truth and you're rejecting the truth. It's because you know the right thing to do and you're rejecting the right thing to do. Someone might say, oh, you just said know the right thing like someone was listening. No, they're only listening with one ear. They're only halfway listening. And every time something was going in one side, they were saying, I reject that. I disagree with that. I don't believe that. I'm going to go this way. And you ultimately don't obey because you've rejected, you've forsaken this. And by the way, if there's ever any opportunity for us to see how this comes to us in grand fashion, just think of the link between 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, where it says, Do not love the world nor the things of the world, for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, these things are not from God, but they're from the world. And if you go right back to Genesis chapter 3 and you find out exactly how Satan tempted Adam and Eve... What did he do? He doubted God's words. He doubted God's words. God said, In the day you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely what? Die. Satan comes right along in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now he was a crafty beast of the field. He was cunning. And he immediately cast doubt upon God's words when he says, You shall surely not die. And then when he showed them that forbidden fruit, whatever it was... And when Eve looked at it, what does the Bible say? She saw that it was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes. And she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. That's the boastful pride of life. That's the same stuff Satan's been doing from Genesis to 1 John. That's the same stuff that always trips us up. It's the lust of the flesh. It's I have a better way to care for me, to protect me, to exalt me. Or it's the lust of the eyes. I want what I want when I see that I want it. And the boastful pride of life. I'm the king. Nobody's going to rule over me. I say what goes. I have a plan. It's better than everyone, including God and His words Himself. You see, that's the, that's the plan of Satan all the way from the garden to the time he's judged forever and ever. God's words are very important. And God says, listen, 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 and don't forsake. And you listen to your father and his instruction, and you don't forsake your mother and her law teaching. And what's going to happen to you is a graceful wreath and ornaments that you wouldn't believe, and you'll be an advertisement for God's very words. Boy, what a, what a wonderful challenge. What a great thing for someone to, to say about you or me. You know, when they open their mouth, God speaks. When they talk, God's words are spoken. I was commenting the other day about someone I heard on the radio recently. I've been able to have fellowship with her in some of the ensuing days since I heard her first on the radio. And as I talk with her and as I have just normal sort of one-on-one -on -one speech in a non-public setting. I, I keep asking questions, and all I hear from this woman is Bible. Well, you know, it says in Proverbs. Well, you know, the Word of God says here. Well, you know, it says in Genesis 3. And I love that. There's a, there's, there's a wonderful advertisement there about God's words. There, there's, a, there's a great obedience and not a forsaking about who God is and what He requires. There's a great advertisement for God speaking words through another person. Is that you? Is that your life? Is that what you're all about? Is that what you live for? Do you live for the listening to and the obedience of God's very words? That's what it's all about, folks. That's what it's all about. Have you been saying to yourself, maybe after reading J.C. Ryle's book on have you read lately the Bible, being convicted, being challenged, being hopeful that God would give you the grace the wreath, the ornaments of His words, boy, that's available to you. You have a mind. You have a gift. You have eyesight. You have hearing. You have opportunity. Now's the time. Today is the day. Read your Bible. Know the Word of God. Listen 
and obey. It's there for us. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we are not always so desirous of knowing your truth. We're not always ready and willing to avail ourselves of the listening of your truth, the obedience of your word. But we ask, Father, that you would give it to us. Give it to us as only you can. Shock us. Shape us. Drive us to a place of reading and studying and listening and obeying. Bring it to us, Lord. And may we confess that we have indeed at times forsaken and abandoned and not heeded, not listened to the voice of Your very words. And we pray that this series would show us first and foremost how to wear this beautiful array of Christian virtues. May we do it for Your glory. And may we teach it to our children and their children. And we need to proclaim it, Lord, to our workmates, to our extended family, to our school friends, to anyone in our sphere of influence. Lord, may we be known as as people who speak God's words. We pray that You would bring it to pass so that ultimately, as You apply it to very specific situations, our good virtue, our good company, will be the spirit of the day and not bad company corrupting our good morals. Thank you for teaching us today. In Jesus' name, amen.